0: If you don't know me, my name is Steve Yates. I'm also one of the pastors here at In-Town Community Church, and I'd like to join others in wishing you all a Merry Christmas. It's so wonderful to see so many of your faces here. Um, And for those of you uh, joining us at home, all of you, please know you are missed and loved dearly. It's wonderful to be here tonight. It is no surprise, obviously, working through uh, one of the stories of the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. If you heard a record scratch in your brain, it is because you did not know there was an account of the birth of Jesus in Revelation 12. Don't worry, I did not either until just a few years ago. However, it's been incredibly helpful for me over the last couple of years. I'm a church kid. I grew up believing in Jesus. I have been a part of more choir specials and Christmas cantatas. I have a Charlie Brown Christmas special memorized. And maybe you're kind of in the same boat. You're happy you're here. But functionally, something happens in your brain where we're we're, we're talking about Christmas, We're reading Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, and just the idea that this has all been done before, over and over and over again, clicks in your brain, and you go into autopilot. It's what I do quite often around Christmas. Because of this, I think it's a wonderful thing for us to look at a story that is the same story, and at the same time, is very, very different. We're gonna look at a few different facets of the Christmas story than you're used to this evening. But again, I believe that by doing so, we might see what we often miss in Christmas. Gene, come read for us.
1: This scripture reading is from Revelation 12, verses one through six. And a great sign appeared in heaven A woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God.
0: Yeah, it's going to be that kind of sermon. Let's pray. Keep Jesus, this is your word. It is not a new word. It is not a different word. It is the same word and the same story, but it is a spot we don't often visit. So would you teach us this evening? Would you move us? Would you make us fall more and more in love with you and with our neighbor? And ultimately, would you be glorified? Pray this in your name. Amen. So, dragons and crowns angels, a woman giving birth, numbers upon numbers. The book of Revelation is a strange book, and it is a strange place to find an account of the birth of Jesus in it. But it is also the perfect book, I think, for 2020. It's been a hard year, and that is to say things lightly. It is a year in which so much has happened, that I cannot believe the things that happened in January of this year happened in this decade, much less in this year. But because of that, again, I believe we need a different take, some different facets. And the the first of these three that I want to talk to you about tonight is that we need an epic story. Now, this word in our culture has often been cheapened, but the idea of an epic is a story that has gravitas to it. It has meaning. It has weight. I am a great fan of war movies. Um, Some people like different things, romantic comedies. Some people like historical biographies. I love war movies. If you can give me a group of people and a rousing speech, and a nice Hans Zimmer soundtrack. I am going to charge the gates of hell with you. I mean, it's gonna be glorious. I love these moments where one individual can compel a group to come together for a singular purpose. When I think of movies like this, Braveheart, William Wallace, or uh, Henry V's St. Crispin's Day speech, And I compare those with my common understanding of Christmas. It is like night and day. One is filled with action and wait and pause. The other one, again, has become so normative as to seem boring. But here in Revelation 12, we see, again, the same story, but in a very, very different light. We've already read Genesis chapter 3, which is a connecting point here to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 describes this woman who is going to give birth and a great dragon who desires that birth to not take place at all costs. Back in in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the first man and the first woman. And of course, you know, our sad history that we participated in rebellion with that serpent against God. Ultimately, as has already been read, we were cursed. But within this curse is what is considered the proto-evangelon, the first gospel, the first good news, that someday, a descendant of man and woman would be born and this descendant would finally and fully, at the cost of his own life, bring to an end this great serpent. Many commentators actually believe that's why Adam, who up to this point has literally only called the other gender next to him from Adam, Ish, um, Isha, from Adam, he suddenly names her Eve mother of living, and the reason for that is this idea that she's not just going to give birth to the human race, she is going to give birth to the victorious one. Someday. Revelation 12 is that story. It gives a gravitas to Christmas. Often that gravitas for us is only given to Easter. We kind of push push any of that to Easter and Christmas just becomes this time for sentimentality and family. At the end of the day, Buddy the Elf speaks more truth into our lives and our culture than Scripture at this point. But I think if there is any year in which we need to know that God violently hates sin, that God despises death and disease, that there is warlike weight in Scripture, and that God, at the cost of himself, is doing something about it. It is this year. And Revelation 12 tells us that Christmas is a shot across the bow in that war. It is not only the story of a humble, quiet baby being born. There are good reasons for the humility and the quietness and the relative obscurity of the birth of Jesus. But there also needs to be within us a sense of power, a weight of the coming and present victory of God. In all otherwise, in all honesty, a baby and carols cannot defeat COVID nineteen. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men is the back of a Hallmark card in the face of horrific racism and disunity. Feelings of war and death and pain laugh so often at our traditions and yet to put a flag in the sand and say, here, a baby is born, the baby is born and the dragon does not overcome now and the dragon will not overcome 30 some odd years from now. And the dragon will not overcome thousands of years from now. And the dragon will never overcome. We need to be reminded that Christmas is an epic story of the victory of God over the powers of sin and Satan and death. Another take. We need a grand story. Similar language in some respects, epic and grand. But if I haven't lost you yet, if you're not transfixed by this passage in a negative way, I'd like to encourage you. I love the book of Revelation. It is confusing as all get out. That is okay. It was not actually as confusing as it probably is to you or I to the original readers. I'll tell you why because cultures have a shared symbolic language vocabulary. If I describe to you today a picture of an elephant and a donkey pulling at the wings of an eagle, you would know exactly what I was talking about, especially in an election year, because we all have a shared symbolic vocabulary. Well, the recipients of the book of Revelation were Steeped in the Old Testament. And the book of Revelation over and over and over again like a piece of Hebrew poetry repeats over and over again symbols and stories from throughout the Old Testament. Just for instance, we've already mentioned the dragon from Genesis 3 and other places. We see this woman, but she is crowned with a crown of 12 stars. This is easily a symbol of the nation of Israel and the dreams of Joseph back in the book of Genesis chapter 39. We see a child who will rule nations with a rod of iron, an allusion to the book of Psalms. We see the child and the woman fleeing to the wilderness, a place of testing but also of great provision throughout the Old Testament. We don't have time to go back and examine all of these different pictures, but what's so important there is that Revelation 12 describes the culmination, not just of a generalistic story, which again is often where we take the Christmas story, but a specific story of a specific people. I was moved a couple of weeks ago. I got to watch a a YouTube video from an actress who uh, is a very, very dedicated Jew. And uh, this woman was describing Hanukkah and the uh, various different um, foods and uh, songs, toys, the menorah, all of these different rituals surrounding Hanukkah. And I was moved because, I mean, it was lighthearted. She was just kind of doing this YouTube video to her followers to explain her faith. But I was taken by the fact that every single thing in that holiday for her was packed to the brim with meaning. And not just with meaning, with soul-altering, formative meaning. Meaning. And I realized as I was and still am awash in the insanity of Christmas, especially with young children, I I was struck by this fact that so little often in the Christian life surrounding Christmas for me is still formative. Again, it has become so commonplace, so ritualistic, as to not mean anything new or different. And I don't expect it to. There are times I fully confess to you that I want to get through tonight. Because if I can get through tonight and I can get through tomorrow morning, then I can actually find that rest that Jimmy was talking about. But Revelation 12 says this is a vast story that has had lots of different acts to it and is still going. The Jewish people, they longed, they waited for the Messiah to come. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And we throw around sometimes passages like Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born But that was written 700-some-odd years before the birth of Jesus. They sat and they waited, and they steeped in that waiting. What's so wonderful, friends, is that we are also actually a part of that people and that story. That story is our story. We are a part of a grand story. And we don't need to get into culture wars or happy holiday versus Merry Christmas or any of the mess that sometimes can get thrown about whether or not Christmas is a, a, a generic holiday or a Christian holiday. What we need to be able to recognize is that we get an opportunity in this season to be uniquely formed by over and over and over again coming back to a story, a true story that our ancestors have been coming back to for millennia. I often feel lost in modern culture in feeling like I don't have a past, I don't have an identity, I don't really have a sense of purpose or meaning and I kind of have to scratch that out. Here it is. You are a part of a grand story, God's victory over sin and death. It is not simply a bedtime story that gets told around you. It is something that we as in-town community church, in this neighborhood, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world, are a chapter in. God. Our life has meaning. And I think that's where the passage ends for me, is that it's an epic story and a grand story, but it is also a personal story. Because even though it is our story, sometimes we need to be re- reminded that it's my story. It's your story. towards the end of the chapter. We, we didn't have a chance to read it all, and of course, any single verse in Revelation can uh, f- be filled with, with beautiful hours of discussion. But in verses 7 and following, like a good piece of Hebrew poetry, um, the battle between the dragon and the baby, the man, the Messiah, is repeated a second time. It's very, very common in Hebrew poetry for this repetition to happen. A number of things happen. The child is cared for again by God. He is exalted. The servant is finished. But this time, there's an interesting verse. Verse 17, very end of the chapter. Then the dragon became furious upon being defeated, not being able to stop the birth and the reign of this child The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the writer of this stood on the sand of the sea as he views this. Friends, on one hand, I don't don't want to tell you to do anything at all. It is 2020, I am exhausted. And golly, we could pull up studies showing that over this past year, everyday things that we are used to doing in easy ways have taken up three times as much time and energy as before. I am absolutely exhausted simply with life right now. And I feel the cynicism creeping into my bones But to to bring back the image at the beginning of this sermon, if I am actually and truly, not in some weird metaphoric sense, but if I am actually and truly a member of a great army of God and I get to be a part of this epic and grand story, then I have a sense of agency. I'm an active part of Christmas. That Christmas is not only the story of a baby being born. Christmas is the story of the defeat of the devil and ultimately of his death thrashing. And there are times, friends, that I need to be able to have hope that things are as bad as they are not because God has forgotten us, but because God has already won and we are simply in the midst of the end of the battle. I need to be reminded that sometimes I experience, we experience the pains and the grief and the loss of sin and death and Satan because Not that he is so powerful, but actually because he has already lost. And that is why he has decided to thrash about and to come after us. But even in light of that, there is a great agency. There is a great sense, it's described earlier in chapter 12, that these individuals who the dragon is coming after Verse 11, they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. The book of Revelation comes to people who are losing their lives, who are being persecuted, who are being oppressed, who do not have happy, joyous existences. And yet, the first songs of joy in Christ were written by these people. The first images of Jesus painted on the walls of tombs are from these people. This doesn't mean we stick our fingers in our ears and say, la la la, the world is fine when it seems like it is on fire. But it does say that there is real and actual joy that can be found in who we are in Christ. Even in the midst of our hurt and our pain, even in the midst of 2020. We are going to sing some songs. We will be reminded by the fabric over our faces and the volume of our voices, by the empty seats in the room and the empty spaces between the seats that all is not as it should be. But all is not as it should be, not because we have failed, not because God has forgotten us. All is not as it should be, because we wait with eager anticipation for the fullness of what is already certain that the dragon has been slain, the child is exalted as Lord over all. And we will join with him one day. Thanks be to God.